0: Welcome to another episode of Cinema Wheeler-Tay. It's uh, Sean, t- sco- Tony, and Scott once again. S-
1: sconey. We, <laughs> we were once referred to as Sconey. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh. uh, <laughs> Hello.
0: <laughs> we're all together and we're ready to go into one of our infamous top five
2: uh,
1: episodes. Yes. I've grown to really enjoy doing these.
2: Yes. So have I. You didn't like them at first, or are you just growing? You know,
1: good point. <laughs> it was actually my idea, so, yeah. so I loved it from the get-go. But I, I guess I mean... you more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I look forward to these a lot. They're yeah, fun.
0: They are fun. It's always good to kind of dive, do a deep dive into what we, we like. We don't know what we pick, so it's always a surprise.
1: Although I'm yeah. usually pretty good at predicting you two.
0: Right. Sometimes I try to spoil what you guys predicted by having people look into your picks, you know, so I can have it ahead of time. But we have
2: a nice broad topic today, we so do. we might not have as much overlap. So. No, we probably won't
0: have because this is, this is a big, deep, broad topic. We are doing our top five favorite uh, literary adaptations, or adaptations of
2: a book on yeah. film. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, we yeah. were yeah. worried about how we would present the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Basically, we're talking about books that were made into movies. <laughs> Best
2: adapted
0: screenplays, you know. Uh, yeah. So it, it, basically, and, it, and it's easy to interpret this because a lot of films have been based on a book property. So this is a, know. and
2: this is Tony's. I, this was Tony's suggestion. It was. It
0: was. So, I,
1: I happen to be a, a which
2: I, I I never thought to do this one, but no, no. But I, once I thought about it, like this is the perfect. And we've let Tony patent the idea, too.
0: Yeah, so, so we this is all right. We don't have yeah. any rights Trademark. to that.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah TM.
0: <laughs> so what we're going to do is go around, and we're each going to give in from five to, f- to number one our, our favorite uh, book adaptations, literary adaptations. Thank Not all you. of it's literature, I, I, but
2: it's a book. I have a question. Do you, just in general, do you think books are better than movies? Um, if uh, If a book... If a movie is based on a book, what is usually do you enjoy more of the ones that you've read?
1: The book or the movie? The movie. Or the movie yeah. yeah.
2: M- more people would say
0: they enjoy the book more because they have the ideas in their head. I've heard. From well, people. and they're
1: they're oftentimes a little bit more detailed yes. and drawn out than than what a film would allow for. Certainly, when it comes to some of the content, mm-hmm. it might not be appropriate for film, or they just can't fit it in, or they miss the films kind of miss things. Like I know the Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you call that? It's more than a trilogy, but the Harry Potter series. series. yeah. Yeah. People really, the movies are phenomenal, and they're fantastic in and of themselves, but I know almost everybody I know that has read the books has said the books are just that much better because it's kind of like the movie on steroids.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I also know that like if you love the book ahead of time and you're seeing it being adapted as a film... A lot of people get very disappointed because they have such love and affection for all the details of a book, and a movie can't possibly contain all that in two to two and a half hours. I will say this time. though:
1: sometimes there are, are are books that the movie version um, takes you to a different place that the book maybe couldn't, mm-hmm. or the book or the movie version is just so incredible because seeing it seeing it versus just reading it on black and white, you bring it to the story to life. Mm -hmm. So in some cases, I think it really goes both ways. I think it depends on the actual book we're talking about. A good example that's actually surprisingly not on my list is Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm -hmm. It's actually a pretty short novella that Truman Capote wrote, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and it's really not that great. I've read it. I mean, it's okay, but, I mean, we have the Audrey Hepburn movie version, and come on.
3: Right. It it
1: takes it to a whole other level, and it's phenomenal.
2: It does. There's some. I mean, there's... If I were to adapt, I mean, you could take a bad book and you could make a great movie. There's mm-hmm. there's no, um, there's really no limit there because it's, it's two different types of storytelling, I think. Yes. Yeah, I mean, because you have a shorter amount of time. Uh, I think people might like a book because you can go into someone's innermost thoughts and you mm-hmm. can see what they think. Um, as opposed to a movie, to see, like, the outside, mostly, you know.
1: Yeah, I think it also, you know, some of my picks today, um, some of them might be a little uh, predictable. I, hey, but,
2: people know us. but Yeah, but, um, so are mine. But I don't
1: care. <laughs> uh, no, but the point I was trying to make is that I think it really, and, and you'll understand this comment more when you get to know my list but the director really makes a huge difference in how they choose to tell the story in terms of keeping maybe original content from the novel as well as some of the themes or ideas and and just the visualization um where they i think they do a great job of really complimenting the book versus being better
3: or worse
1: instead it's like a real compliment
0: it is Mm -hmm. it is Uh, Yeah, and I think that's true. Like sometimes it's best when a when a director veers away from the book and kind of takes the book and makes it his own Mm -hmm. thing. So um, I think that's always effective. Although that upsets a lot of fans too because they wanted to see the exact interpretation of their book. Well,
1: some directors do that. They do a pretty good exact Mm -hmm. adaptation, and and I think again it depends on the content, you know, in the story. Sometimes that doesn't always make sense. Mm -hmm. You know, like Breakfast at Tiffany's. Again, if you read the story, it really, there's not a whole lot there. There wasn't really a lot of jazz or umph to it. And then, you know, Blake Edwards put it on the silver screen and it was, now it's iconic. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes, I, I, sometimes it just, they can be a happy accident, like you said. Exactly. They come together. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they make their own. They become their own thing. They become yeah, their own work of art. Exactly. On, outside of the book.
1: I think you know, using Breakfast at Tiffany's as an example, most people probably identify it with being a film more than they ever would realize that it was really a short story.
0: Right. That happens with a lot, like uh, Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. That's a Stephen Absolutely. King short story. Yeah. It became just the sh- mm-hmm. Shawshank Redemption. Yep. Uh, which a lot of people think is their favorite King adaptation. You know. So. Um. But yeah. it's not a famous novel like It or The Shining, you exactly. know. Not, not to give away any spoilers for my list. Or
1: Christine, which yes. I always liked. Christine. So it's not I, on my list, but <laughs> it needs to be mentioned. <laughs> yes, it
0: does. It's an honorable mention for yes. the list. So why don't we start with you, Tony? Uh, what's your fifth pick for your favorite uh, literary adaptation?
1: Uh, my fifth pick is um, a novel called The Virgin Suicides. Mm. And it was a film adaptation directed by Sophia Coppola. So as you can imagine, it's beautiful. And are you guys familiar with that book?
0: I had heard of the book in, 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 as it relates to the uh, novel, you know, because when the movie came out, I remember reading that it was based People, off a novel, which yeah. I have read.
1: Um, it's really phenomenal. Um, it's interesting. It's, well, I'll give you kind of a brief overview I'm looking at. The, the author is Jeffrey, um, um, you, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Jeffrey Eugenides, I think. That's how you say it. Anyway, um, it came out in 1993, and it was his debut novel. And it's about five sisters, the Lisbon sisters. Um, the main sister is played by Kirsten Dunst. I think that I think The Virgin Suicides came out in 1999. Just to give you a point of reference as to where we were in our pop culture history. That was a
0: great year for movies. Too.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Or I'm sorry, it was released in 2000, I'm sorry. It was right at the crust. I think it came out
0: the same, oddly enough, as American Psycho. So, uh, same time period. Same time
1: period, yeah. Well, in real life, not in the movie. Right. This movie's based in the 70s. um, And it's based, I think, in uh, either Indiana or Illinois, you know, like Midwest in the 70s. And you have these five Lisbon sisters who are all teenagers. They're all about a year apart, ranging from like 13 to about like 17 18 um and their parents um kathleen turner plays their mom and james wood plays their dad so there's like there's some comedic elements to the film but it really is a drama um and the story is that you have these five sisters who are really pent up their parents are i don't know if it's necessarily religious but just incredibly strict they're just really not allowed to live their lives as teenagers should you know they can't go to dances they can't have boyfriends go out like they're just very sheltered and so it starts to have a negative effect on the girl's psyches and you know spoiler alert they all kill themselves hence the name virgin suicides um but the books really uh i remember when i read the book it was i was in college when i read it and it was before i even knew it was a movie. it was it was like a page-turner. It's not a very long book, but I actually own it. It's upstairs mm-hmm. in my bookshelf. I just couldn't put it down. It was um, something I really identified with. You know, growing up Catholic, I have two older sisters. My dad was not nearly as strict as the parents are in this novel, but it just was something that really connected with me. And then I remember, like not long after I finished the book, I was still in that world, you know, because that's how I get when I read novels. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, listen to music or soundtracks. I make my own music up for the the story and the characters, and I just kind of get lost in that world, and I was so delighted to find out that it was a film. Not only that, but that it was directed by Sofia Coppola, who I love. I just think her style and aesthetic is something that I would probably... It's something similar to probably what I would do if I were making films. She's very detailed, um, and the movie version is everything I thought in my head that the book would be. I mean, she really did a great job for me capturing what that story was like. And the music is really um, electronic. It's, it's by this, this group called Air. Um, and there's this song called Playground Love, which is kind of like the main theme. It's just very haunting and there's no words to it. It's you guys know I kind of like that stuff, yeah. like a lot, a lot like Tangerine Dream and yes, Whiskey Business. Uh, yeah. It has its own soundtrack, which is just, again, right up my alley. So, without being incredibly long-winded too late, it's a great novel. Uh, the movie version is nothing short of a great adaption. Sofia Coppola at her best, I, I think. I mean, I know everybody loves Lost in Translation because Bill Murray. <laughs> and it's great. But, but there's something really special about the Virgin Suicides and... I think it was on Netflix, or I know it's streaming on a couple of like those free app channels on smart TVs. Mm-hmm. I actually own, I think, the DVD, too. Um, yeah, that'd be my number five.
0: Um, I have not seen The Virgin Suicides, but I, I'm with you. Like I, I love Sofia Coppola. I'm one of those people who love Lost in Translation. <laughs> it's one of my favorite films because of Bill Murray. So yeah. I can just paraphrase <laughs> what you just said. Um, But I always wanted to see The Virgin Suicides. There's a movie that I think she made recently called The Beguiled, which is a remake of a film that came out in the 1970s. Clint Eastwood was actually in the
3: original. You know,
1: one thing I wanted to add to this, and this could be why this movie is a little bit magical for me too, was her first directorial film was Virgin Suicides. Yes. Sofia Coppola's first film. And so there's always a lot of uh, nostalgia and kind of magic when, you know, that first film. There's just something... I don't know important about it.
0: She she has a really unique style. I think she's highly underrated as a, as a filmmaker nowadays. I know, do too. You don't hear her mentioned in the same breath as people like Sam Mendes and uh, Wes Anderson and mm-hmm. people like that. But I, she's from that generation. I think she's just as as potent and as
1: you know influential it, as those guys. Her, her eye is just so wonderful in this movie, from the details and ter- from the fashion. You know, the '70s fashion. Um, but even in the way that she tells the story between the sisters, and it's just, like a lot of Sofia Coppola films, I think The Beguiled would probably be included in this. It's very airy and, and almost whimsical in terms of its aesthetic. A lot of pastels, and it's very feminine, um, dreamlike almost. And I don't know, that was really the first time I'd ever feel like I remember seeing anything like that on film, where mm-hmm. it was really like a dream kind of come to life and then the music is such a perfect compliment it's very hypnotic yes uh, yes that band air i'd never heard of them before until this film and it really is it's perfect
0: yeah it it, i agree with you that it does remind me of a tangerine dream you know Mm -hmm. kind of like 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 kind of ethereal kind of atmospheric and uh, you know
1: i always talk about here on the podcast and i will forever you know how much i i value and regard the, the relationship between music and motion and how mm. important it is to how we emotionally and mentally adapt to watching a film just in terms of being a connector you know the music matching the emotion of what you're seeing I, I just I think that's I think the music can make or break a film mm-hmm. as we were just talking about when we talked about yeah. Aquaman mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> yes yeah, we were talking about <laughs> Aquaman
1: before
0: we <laughs> recorded so which it's, I guess is based on a literary <laughs> the comic book adaptation
3: <laughs>
2: We'll get to that movie but. another time, but
0: uh, Scott, what's your
2: uh, fifth pick? Yeah, so I, I try to pick movies. I just kept my list to movies. I've read the book and watched the movie.
1: Same here. That's so, another thing I wanted to I mean, point I, too. I, I
2: don't think we have to stay to that, but that's that's how I interpret it, um, just to make it narrow down the vast amount of movies out there. Yeah. Um, so my uh, fifth pick is To Kill a Mockingbird.
3: Oh, w-
1: good one! Which
2: is probably uh, a lot of people's <laughs> favorite movie based on the book. I would say it's not a very popular pick. If if you pulled a lot of people, it'd be high up there. Because uh, both versions are great in their its own way, and the the movie is very close to the book. Um, but yeah, it's just a great. I mean, it's a great movie. It's got a great score, like you're talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does.
2: Um. You know, one of the best scores. my favorite scores are the 60s.
1: And Gregory Peck is uh, Gregory so wonderful. Gregory Peck is great, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, just uh, all the child acting in that movie is probably mm-hmm. the best of any movie I've ever seen.
1: Well, it won awards.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it did.
1: Academy Awards.
2: Academy Awards. And, uh, I mean, it's a classic movie. And the book is obviously
1: Harper a legendary,
2: legendary, you know, legendary book. I mean, you mentioned Harper Lee and Truman Capote. Their relationship has been mm-hmm. well documented, so... Um. Yeah, that's my fifth pick. I mean, it would probably be as a movie. Um, I'm, you might say, well, it's better than other movies that you picked above it, but this is a personal list, so um,
1: <laughs> no shame here, Scott. No shame. Hey, yeah. we once did a list, and you put Pinocchio on it.
2: Yeah, Pinocchio is a great movie. Uh, <laughs> It's a coming of age.
1: It really is a coming of age movie.
2: (laughs) It just is a different, it comes from (laughs) a different angle. It cracked me
1: up. I was like,
2: Disney Plus, you you can watch Pinocchio and you can agree or disagree. You can also watch
1: Man of the House starring Taylor (laughs) Thomas and and a still hot Chevy Chase.
2: Yes,
0: oh yes. Uh, We'll get to that topic another time.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, there's not much, I don't really have a big. Uh, it's just a quality film.
0: It is. Yes.
1: I kind of rambled on about the virgin suicide because no, that no. that really had an impact on me. Yeah, it was so unique. Exactly. And, you know, ramble
2: on as much as you want. There's no
0: time yeah. Yeah. Thank you, this. boys. Thank
1: you. I'm a part of this damn podcast yeah. too. Right. Like Led
2: That's Zeppelin right. said, ramble. Yeah. On. Ramble, on. Ramble, on. ramble on. That's exactly right.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna so so sing my down. song.
2: You think Robert Plant would have the Lord of the Rings on you? <laughs> Cuz <'Cause laughs> half his songs are about the Lord of the Rings. Oh, no doubt. Yeah.
1: What do you think Norse
0: mythology on Do
1: you yeah, think he'd like Game of Thrones?
0: Uh, I think he would. I think he would enjoy that. I haven't seen his, uh... We can ask him. He's still alive. We should probably ask him if he's... uh,
1: Somebody tweet him.
0: All right,
2: Sean, you're number five.
0: So uh, my criteria is kind of unique. Like, I... So many movies are based on books, even movies we don't necessarily think of offhand. So I tried to kind of come up with my own interpretation of that, which is, like, movies that kind of do something intriguing with the premise of a book... Uh, so they're not necessarily my favorite movies totally. Sure, sure. But they're sure. just movies that I kind of liked what they did with the source Same material. Same here. I
1: think that's kind of what we all uh, did. Yeah, in, yeah. In,
0: in a way. So number fifth would be another Coppola for me. Oh. It would be her father, Francis Ford Coppola, and Apocalypse Now. Oh, okay. I, I, takes...
2: I, that was not where I thought
0: I would be going. No, yeah. So <laughs> Apocalypse Now is loosely, and I say very loosely, based on Joseph Conrad's uh, novella, Heart of Darkness. yeah. Which is about colonialization, you know, at the turn of the century, British colonialization, and they kind of transplant that basic premise into. uh, Did you read that book? Have you
2: read the? I read it. I read
0: it in college. So okay, Uh, yeah, yeah. and not all of these. I've read the book, to be honest with you. Some of them. How close
2: is it to the movie? The basic outline, like there is a Colonel
0: Kurtz. You know, Kurtz is a character, and he has like sidekicks and side men that become a cult in that. Like uh, I think it's in the West Indies. I think of in that. Mm-hmm. Novella. It's been a while since I've read it, but I, I and the journey on the river of going to find Kurtz, you know, and and explore it. That's that that basic outline is there, but it's transported to Vietnam,
3: mm-hmm.
0: where Willard, the character that's played by Martin Sheen, is you know is kind of like a like a confidential assassin within the army to go ahead and assassinate Colonel Kurtz, who kind of abandoned the army and became like a cult leader in the middle of Vietnam. During the war, so it's transplanted to the 60s, sure. and it's, it is a crazy, outlandish
2: movie. It's—I
0: it's,
1: know a lot of people who love it. I—I've I, actually never seen it.
3: It's, yeah,
2: I've seen it in parts. I haven't. I don't. I don't think I've ever sat down and watched it all the way through. But I've seen. I think I, if I've seen all the parts, I've seen. It's probably pieced the whole movie. But yeah, it's, it.
0: It. it's it's kind of an abstract movie in certain ways yeah. too, because it's like you're you're kind of following Martin Sheen's character, Willard. Through combat and they're going to like a USO party that goes awry and you know I don't want to spoil it for you guys because you guys haven't seen it well but it's I a, spoiled
1: version Suicide <laughs> yeah, which dead. I mean the name's kind of in the, uh, just but, the plots in the title
0: <laughs> Marlon Brando plays Colonel Kurtz at the end and oh, he's wow. this cult leader and Dennis Hopper's this this photojournalist becomes his, no like, more. yeah, that's, so you know where this is going. I
1: know where this is going. In the making
0: of the movie, there's there's a, a documentary called Hearts of Darkness that's just as fascinating as the movie itself, because Coppola had a crazy time putting this together. Martin Sheen suffered a heart attack. They're taping Martin Sheen drunk, playing oh himself to get Willard's, like, wow. like psychotic breakdown on camera or his, like, nervous breakdown on camera at post-war at the very beginning of the movie, the end by the Doors is infamously used during oh, yeah. the napalming of Cambodia at the beginning of the film. Uh, it's 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 a really dark abstract surreal. It's kind of a, a perfect example of 1970s American cinema, you know, where mm-hmm. it was really wild and they're using a lot of outlandish ideas. But it's a really creative way of approaching that material from art mm-hmm. of darkness and transposing it to yeah. like Vietnam to comment on that war and kind of showing the parallels between colonialization at the beginning mm-hmm. of the century and what we were doing at Nam at the time. So, and it's just crazy. There's just a lot of crazy performances like Brando's off the charts. Dennis Hopper, This is shocking to you guys, but Dennis Hopper is out <laughs> over the top in the movie as well. So. Are we
1: talking about blue velvet now? Yeah. Well, it's not quite on that level, but it's, it's
0: right <laughs> underneath blue velvet. Uh, so, yeah, that would be my number five pick. Would be a
1: One thing I will say on the topic of Coppola is he makes fantastic wine. There's, I actually have a bottle upstairs. It's my new favorite. It's called Claret. It's great. It's Cabernet. It's awesome. Mm. Anyway, way to go, Coppolas. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, my number four, I'm not going to spend too much time on because we actually devoted a whole podcast to yeah. this. Mm. Uh, but it would be The Talented Mr. Ripley. Mm. That, if you didn't know, is actually based off of a 1955 novel by Patricia Highsmith and the movie version is just incredible it's from a visual perspective it's just so stylish and just so well done and i won't really elaborate anymore because again we did a whole podcast dedicated to it and everybody could hear me gush on that about it but um what what i think is really really cool is that the novel came out in the time, in 1955, so the novel is of its time. Now the movie came out, I think, in 99. Yes, it did. So yeah. I got a thing for 1999. <laughs> yeah. um, You're it, not alone. <laughs> it came out in 1999, so yeah, obviously a very very different time. But it does a incredible job of creating, recreating that that period of time, and um, the novel, the the the, the storyline itself, which you know, you guys already know because you've seen it, is when you think about that story being told in 1955, just, you know, with, with um, Tom Ripley, you know, pretending to be Dickie and the murder and then the homosexuality and, and all these CD underground themes and concepts coming to, like, the forefront in a novel in 1955 is pretty remarkable if you just think about it that way. And then, you know, bringing it to film in 1999 with an all-star cast. You know, Gwyneth Paltrow, Matt Damon, uh, Jude Law, um, Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's, I just think it's, I don't know, it's one of those, it's a heavy movie. It's not something that you, you know, want to watch all the time. But it, it, it drew a lot from the novel. And I think this is an example of where the movie version is maybe slightly better. Because they could really show things in a true, different way than the novel could. Mm-hmm. You know, they could elaborate a little bit more on things. Um, and then just from a style and visual perspective, it's glorious.
0: Yeah, I, um, it's, we saw it last year and we covered it last year. And I, I really enjoyed it, especially the, the, the art direction and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the location. It's just a lavish-looking film. Uh, I always enjoyed Jude Law's performance yeah. in the film. I thought that was one, and Philip Seymour Hoffman's. Mm-hmm. He plays a real prick in that movie. Yeah, by he the does. Way. He, he kind of, does. That
1: was like his thing in that at that <laughs> point in his career. He was it always was. playing like jerks.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but uh, but Matt Damon's performance in this it is incredible. I mean, I think this was the first time I really remembered seeing Matt Damon and thinking, okay, wow, you know, it's, this guy's you know not ju- more than Goodwill Hunting. You know, he's not like just a a Boston bro. Like he's actually. Yeah, really talented played, you know mm-hmm.
2: yeah you're right he played uh, his yeah. character in what was it uh, it's a movie I like School Ties yes he plays a <laughs> he plays a bad dude in this yeah movie. he does <laughs> he's a really uh, like a real quick Brendan Fraser's good in that uh, people forget mm-hmm. Brendan Fraser was a had, had a period of time where he was uh, doing some good movies and and Casino Man, would be the beautiful one. I always print <laughs> <no laughs> Man <laughs> and school ties,
1: school ties, resume.
2: Uh, uh, yeah. Let's
1: not forget Mummy. Oh, oh yeah, yeah mummy. Mummy. <laughs>
2: which is better than the other Mummy, not not the original Mummy, which actually isn't that great. But they haven't really done a great Mummy movie, to be honest. Well, yeah,
0: even the first Mummy, I I wish you'd stayed as the. Well, this is a side note, <laughs> but I wish you had stayed as
2: the actual Mummy. You know, <laughs> yeah, they really the they really uh, took it out. Th- yeah. Anyways. Um it's the time for my number four. Yes it is. Okay. I'm gonna do a movie that we've actually done on a podcast as well. And I it's a movie I've, I've a book I read recently is uh The Princess Bride. Oh <gasps>
1: that's my number three. Is it? Yes uh.
2: <laughs> Well i
1: Inconceivable. I, I,
2: yeah. Well, I mean we could talk about it together. <laughs> we can, we can. Um I read the book recently. I I actually bought it in Paris and it was just like mm-hmm. the last year I picked it up and read it.
1: Did you buy it at the Shakespeare and Company? Shakespeare and, Co? we and Company. There? Yeah. I remember that.
2: And um it was the book is really it's it's a lot of the, the jokes are the same. They took yeah. the jokes right from the mm-hmm. book. So all the jokes that you love are from the book, um, but it's a little different. The conceit I, I forget, I honestly I forget the conceit, but was a really cool conceit. It's like a, a very meta book, like he's like the movie's meta. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. He, the the author.
1: Uh, you always feel like it's ahead of its time. Yeah, but, he's yeah. he's
2: doing it, and that's why they brought in. That's why the beginnings like it is, where he's reading the book. It, it has that feel, but it's not exactly yeah. that. It, um, it's it's more like satirical. I'm sure some people are going to be like, "This is what." Yeah. But the book is very mm-hmm. good. It's I think it's the equal of the movie, and we all know how we all feel about yeah. that movie. The movie is
1: phenomenal.
2: One of the best movies um, of
1: our childhood. One I of the mean, best
2: comedies. Yeah. It's probably the best fantasy comedy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well,
0: it was a hot streak for Rob Reiner in the late 80s because he was directing Spinal Tap and The Sure Thing, which is a movie with John Cusack. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, He also did Stand By Me, which is a Stephen King adaptation. Uh, So there's a guy that does a great job of adapting movies from other sources. Yeah. uh, And The Princess Bride is no exception to that. Yeah. He did a really
2: good job. Yeah, he he had a run...
1: It's just such a lovable movie, you know? I mean, I have we all have that our own story of when we remember watching this movie as a kid, you know? Yeah. And and that's just... Movies like that you just can't compete with. It's, yeah,
2: I don't remember... I mean, we, we've talked about... It. I mean, it's been a while since we've been It we has been a, a long yeah, time, so I
1: can't remember exactly what we talked about yeah, on the Yeah, it doesn't
2: matter. I mean, people are... It's yeah, a whole new thing. Yeah. I mean, Carrie Elway is just so brilliant. And he was on in the new season of Mrs. Maisel, and he... You like these actors that they Mm -hmm. go away for a while. You don't see them in anything, and they come back. It's like, why were these people?
1: That's like Robin Wright. Robin Wright, Um, Michael Keaton
2: was away for a long time.
1: Thank God he's back.
2: Yeah, I was just like, there's there's people that go away. (laughs) These great actors for no reason. Maybe they they take a break. Yeah. I mean, Michael Keaton said that it wasn't that he wasn't working. It's just that some movies just didn't fall through that he was working on, as producing or whatever it was. Um, But. A, they always come back and they're always as great as you mm-hmm. thought they were. Yeah. And you're just like, I, I don't know. It's because Kerry always was on Stranger Things as well the last yeah, season. Yeah, he was. And he was
1: also in the Saw movies too. Yeah, yeah, that, which, was, just, I mean, that was that was, was, a, was a breakup. A, yeah. but, but
2: he's doing more of the comedic.
1: He was also in a great film. I think it came out in 1994 with, or 1993 with Alicia Silverstone called The Crush.
3: Mm. Yeah. Yes. It's
1: on. It's it was streaming somewhere recently because I remember me and uh, shout out to Sarah. Booker Greer, who's been on yeah, the podcast many yeah, times, yeah. her and I both love that movie, and yeah. I think we were talking about it recently.
2: Yeah, that—that's. Uh,
1: he was young then, you know. Was, I mean, that was what ninety-three, so not long after *Princess Bride*. But
2: and Andre the Giant, obviously. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: everybody in this movie, and yeah. Mandy Patinka, and and then and uh, Wallace Shawn. Wallace yeah. Shawn was also yes. in *Miss yes. Mistle*. Yes, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. These
2: people, well, and I he
1: was in was *Clueless*. Wallace Shawn, yeah, Wallace Shawn. I've
2: seen them in a few things recently. where like, these guys, these people. Maybe I'm just seeing them more and things. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, it's a very eclectic
0: cast. Yeah. Yes, it is. People from Chris wide Sarandon. range. Yeah. And I love eclectic casts. I like it when mm-hmm. you bring in like a a lot of people who don't feel like they belong together naturally into a film and watch them play off each other. Like Andre the Giant. And Wally Sean, and Carrie Elwes and Pat, Pat Matty Patinkin—you don't oh, think of yeah. those guys being in the same space, but they are. Billy
3: Crystal,
1: and it works so well. It yes, did. Billy Crystal, Carol
2: Kane. Yeah.
1: Yes. W-
0: William Goldman, who wrote the screenplay yes. and the novel, he yeah. also—he re- was a renowned screenwriter in general, on yeah. top of being a novelist. Like he wrote the screenplay for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and you know, also The Princess Bride. And all of his movies have kind of a quiet, data. yeah vibe to it and humor a lot of great humor a lot of
3: great humor and it's funny
2: because the book was so the way the book was written they said how could you make this a movie so you know this goes to show sometimes when you think a movie is going to be impossible to make based on the material you can still have a great movie Mm -hmm. and uh that's what it is,
1: and so many wonderful lines. You know, yeah. I mean, wonderful quotes that this movie left us with, and and fun moments, and and really a lot of wisdom. I mean, th- there were there was a lot of wisdom in this movie, and mm-hmm. I think to see it at a young age when you're kind of impressionable, it's it's a really good film. It's good for any age. That's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like I think this movie is. I think Princess Bride is great. Is <laughs> sorry. Better than Shrek, but it's like one of those films. You don't have that, to apologize for that <laughs> It's one of those. All the films Shrek
0: fans out there that, are be. that like
1: adults get a lot out of it, kids get a lot out of it. It's something you can always go back to. You know, it's just. I think Shrek was trying to do something like Princess Bride. Honestly, I think they were trying to follow. Oh that, yeah, they, that, they, they
2: fell. The, yeah,
1: that mold. Yeah. A little um, bit
2: more. Their humor was a little bit more on the nose, and, and the yeah. Princess Bride. What was great about it is the mo- the, the humor, while it's very clever and witty, and kind of, uh, I don't know, com- commenting on what the situation is, it's done in such a way it doesn't take you out of the fantasy mm-hmm. of it, which is yeah. brilliant.
0: Yeah, I uh, i just like the fact that the most controversial thing that might happen on our podcast is that we said the Princess Bride <laughs> is better than Shrek. You know, that would be hilarious <laughs> yeah. if that took off. Don't, and don't come at yeah, us.
2: I, oh. I, 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 I'm backing Tony 100% on that, on that comment, so... Right. So uh, going with my uh,
0: theme, which is kind of an odd theme, and it's not <laughs> fully formed, to be honest with you. <laughs> we but, all have our uh, themes, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, I went with my number four pick. It's based off of a famous H. G. Wells novel. There's oh a couple H. G. Wells novels I could have made this list. I knew by you the guys way.
1: were going to have the same movies you always uh, do. But <laughs> number
0: four, number four for me is 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 a great science fiction movie from uh, 1953. It's the George Pack
2: version of the War of the Worlds. Yeah, this is my number two. Oh wow! i will <laughs> just go so we could talk about it. I, I don't mind
0: yeah. uh, breaking yeah.
3: the breaking uh, the uh, the order,
2: the monotony of, of
0: what we might. To discuss simultaneously. Well,
2: you, you go for it. this is your pick, obviously. So
0: I picked it because, like the the original H. G. Wells novel, you know, was I think was written during the turn of the century, and uh, it you know, is basically about alien invasion coming down, and it takes place in Britain, I believe, and it has a different flavor. But what, what what they've done with subsequent adaptations of War of the Worlds, Orson Welles did the famous radio play where he did it as a newscast, and people thought it was real, mm-hmm. and that took place, I think, in 1939. Mm-hmm. I have to get my dates right for these, <laughs> but uh, in 1953 they did the film version. It was modernized. It, was, it took place in America in the 1950s, and it is a genuinely creepy film too. Yes. Yeah, like there are some s- scenes that are still creepy today. Oh, the alien!
2: When the alien just walks across the screen, they turn around. The alien's there, and he hits it. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it's 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 really uh, the effects are still immaculate.
1: I've never seen it.
0: It's it's a fun movie. I highly recommend. it. It's colored. I think it's a Technicolor version from yeah, 1953. Yeah, it's
2: Technicolor. This is the one... I've read this book twice. So it's one of my favorite books. Um, yeah, I love it. This is the first... I think this is the first movie I saw as a little bit I was creeped out by. That I was literally scared, but I still liked it. There's some movies I was scared of that I didn't want to watch. Like Freddy. I was just, just too scared. Oh, okay, I know you like Freddy. i was scared uh, of him too. But this one was one that I was always... I loved it. Um, it was just... I mean, there's that... Beautiful scene where they're seeing it in the church, and you just hear the damage outside. I mean, it's just yes. like, It's just really. I think the word's haunting, and, and the oh, I, I think it's just we got to see it in Kappa movie series, which we're always, you know, yeah. we're always talking uh, about the Kappa movie series. Always here. the best place to see a movie in the theater in Columbus. Yeah. yeah, and that was awesome. And uh, it's of its time. I, I forget what there, there's some, but it's it's, and I, I do enjoy the other version of it, uh, World of Worlds. Um, the Steven Spielberg version in 2005. I watch that all the time. It's on all the time. I watch it. Um, and the tripods are closer to the... Uh, the, the novel. The, the novel. Sure, yeah. But um, the, the original, I think, is, is my favorite uh, version. It's definitely my favorite version. I, I was going to get an honorable
0: mention to another H.G. Wells adaptation from 1933, The Invisible Man, Oh, uh, with uh, Claude Rains playing The Invisible Man, which is fantastic. Everybody should take a look at that. But this was... I picked this because it's unique in the way it presented mm-hmm. the material, the source material.
2: Yeah, I recently watched uh, I read the uh Time Machine. Yeah. Uh but I don't think it's ever had a movie that matches the book. Um like Royal of the Worlds and the Invisible Man. It doesn't have that um just doesn't have that movie that's I know they've made a couple of Time Machine movies, but um for whatever for what it's worth, it just has never <laughs> clicked. So to speak. So, um, but yeah, that's uh, my number two. Um,
0: and that was my number four. You know, <laughs> I felt like that.
2: That was the way we, we should go. Uh, Did we go back to my number three? Yeah, because my yeah. number
1: three was Princess Bride. So, so we have to
2: so we have to skip me on two just to go through that. Yeah,
1: All okay. I have to say is, never mess with a Sicilian. And death is on the line. Mm.
2: So my number three is a movie we've actually talked about on this podcast. Uh, before in a movie a book i've read last year uh jurassic park by michael Crichton.
3: wow oh, yeah
2: okay. um this is a well, well, well. this is a movie i was i can't remember a movie i was more excited to see as a as, as a kid i read actually <laughs> i read Godzilla. the it was funny i i've actually read two ver two book versions based on uh, jurassic park as, as this is a uh, sabrina comes over mention of animal movies, that's what she's into.
1: What's your favorite movie, Sweetness? <laughs> she said <Cats>. Sabrina <laughs> with Andre Hepburn.
2: She's seen Cats five times. <laughs> she's not impressed uh. with it. Um, um, anyways, I, the, I read the, the, the novel based on the movie before I saw the movie.
1: Oh I see. Okay. Uh, I don't know so if you guys are
2: you guys aware that they used to make novels I am. For like, kids. Like, yeah, yeah. Novels for kids based on the movies, even though the yeah. movie was so yes. yes. oh, yeah. yeah, there was it's... always a movie at
0: uh, think the film at adapted yeah. from the original film. And right? I
2: read that so I basically spoiled Jurassic Park reading this book before I saw the movie. But it made me even more excited to see the movie. And, um,
0: and back then, they always spoiled the movie before it came out. Like, I know the entire plot to Batman 89, because all the mo- the books came out at the time the movie came out, and they would spoil the ending,
3: Yeah, which was crazy yeah, nowadays. It, it, it you would never like, get away with it, that now.
2: It, it, but they didn't care. The ending didn't matter. No, it didn't. Um, it
1: was all about building the hype. It was, it was yeah. all about...
2: You wanted the to experience. see Batman. You didn't care yes. how... You knew Batman was going to win. It, it oh, was, yeah. It was no... Um, you knew the Joker was going to die. <laughs> you just did. Um... But, yeah, Jurassic Park, obviously, uh, just uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Steven Spielberg. I mean, the more I see it, the more I love it. Um, I love Sam Neill's character in that. I always like that's one of my favorite uh, Spielberg characters. Um, I'm iffy on the kids. Um,
1: well, who but, isn't? All they do is the little girl screams the whole But the time.
2: book is different. The book is much more sinister than the Spielberg version. I mean... Um, Hammond is a evil guy in it, and then Jeff Goldblum's character dies. You know, it's and it's it's a mix of The Lost World and Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Like the opening of The Lost World is in the Jurassic Park book, with the the little girl getting bitten. Um, I don't know if you've seen that, but um, so yeah, the book is a little different. It's good. It was a fun read. Michael Crichton is a is a good. Uh, um, you know. I enjoyed it. I think I like the movie better. Mm-hmm. Just because yeah, I think Spielberg's a better director. Well
1: there's with the visuals, there's so much. Oh the yeah,
2: you just can't capture that. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 yeah the, the, I mean, come on. The Trannosaurus Rex scene, there's a reason that's going one of the you know, the greatest action scenes in the history of cinema is just I mean that was I mean never seen that in the theater, it's like, holy crap, we're watching the Tyrannosaurus Rex.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It's like I, it's, just, it's incredible uh, I always
3: you, right? felt
0: sorry
2: for the lawyer in that scene by the way
3: even <laughs> oh, though he yeah. probably
0: it was not a great man but no, he... I mean
2: Jurassic Park is scary I mean for especially for like a 13 year old kid at the time I mean it was very scary I just
1: remember like I always loved Laura Dern oh yeah. I just remember and of course Jeff Goldblum right. you know I thought he was so cute and <laughs> I thought Laura Dern was so stylish and I wanted to be her and I wanted to just shut that girl up. All she, uh, did, a little girl. All she did was scream and yell. And the kids did annoy killed. me in
0: that movie.
1: She, oh, I hated her. Oddly
0: enough, Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum are both having a moment in pop culture these days. Because yeah. she's like the actress, the uh-huh. supporting actress. She's up for... She's great. At the mm-hmm. time oh, of this recording. She's so great. Yeah, she's she's so up for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for Marriage yeah. Story. And she's Jeff Goldblum's great. become
2: an icon in and
3: of itself. Oh, my oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: And obviously, uh, <laughs> that yeah. moment where he's shirtless on the table. Is, Let's not forget. Of... Sam Neill needs to have a moment. There too. is a
1: Facebook page dedicated to only posting that photo every day for Jeff Goldblum. Oh
2: yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> there is. Yeah, 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 the same page. Same photo I, I, every same day. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm mad that it's not on my feed. I don't think oh, I like it enough goodness. that it doesn't go on my feed. But it's so yeah, funny. that's Jeff Goldblum. The same picture. Of Jeff Jeff Goldblum. I can watch. He's the most one of the most watchable actors. Anything he's in, I think he makes everything better. Uh, he's watchable
1: yeah. as
0: himself in yeah. interviews. Just being yeah, Jeff Goldblum is become just a thing. He's so fun.
1: There's this one recent video where he went into, like, Whole Foods and he was buying groceries to make a, some kind of recipe. And just the way that he interacts with everybody in the store, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, you fall in love with him, you know?
2: Yeah. And Sam Neill was also in Bicentennial Man. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow, I just realized they were both in Thor Ragnarok together, Sam Neill and
0: Jeff Goldblum in different scenes.
2: Who was Sam Neill in? Sam
0: it? Neill played uh, Odin in the play within a play oh. in the movie. With Matt Damon played uh, Loki. And uh, Thor was played, I think, by the other Hemsworth brother, right? Okay. Yeah. So he's, they're both in Thor Ragnarok, oddly enough.
2: Yeah, Not Laura Dern, wow. She's not in that. Sam Neill is a great, great actor.
0: But she's in Blue Velvet. She is in Blue Velvet.
2: And yes. she was Admiral Holda,
0: Holdo and in and, and Star Wars. In yeah. The Last Jedi. She sacrificed herself for everybody. <laughs> but it should have been Princess Leia, but they didn't know she was going to die at that point. So yeah. that's another podcast for yeah. another day. Yeah.
2: Um yeah so that's my <laughs> that's my number 3. We barely talked
0: about the actual movie Jurassic Park but Oh Jurassic Park.
2: It. Jurassic Park. Well we have a podcast on Jurassic yeah, we Park did. It. Kenny Greer, yeah, great yeah. fun podcast. I think Sarah Bush probably made an appearance I don't remember, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah we That
1: one we did a long time ago. A long time ago.
2: ago, but Jurassic Park is a wonderful Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, I don't I don't know if that many people haven't seen that. That was one of the biggest movies of all time.
1: When did it come out? 94? 93. Oh, 93. Spielberg
2: had 90, Jurassic Park and Schindler's List in nineteen ninety three, so that's that's the gauntlet of two movies in one year. So
0: by the way, I'm gonna correct myself. The name of the director of The War of the Worlds is George Powell, not George Pack. So I just <laughs> wanted to make sure that was clarified <laughs> in case all the film buffs out there.
2: H. G. You know, Wells is the one. He, H. Out G. Out Wells yeah. is the one that uh
0: yeah. yeah, Wells was a name that's associated with that material yeah. in one form or another. So my number three pick uh, is not a, is a film we haven't covered. In yeah. fact, most of the movies I've realized have not been covered on the podcast yet, which is shocking. But my number three pick is uh, a Stanley Kubrick film. Not mm. the last time I'll be on my list. Uh, called A Clockwork Orange from 1971, ah, which yes. is based on the Anthony Burgess novel, uh, which I've only re- read a long time ago. Uh, it was a tough read at the time because it's built in like some Pigeon Russian language that's kind of quasi-British. <laughs> Pigeon language. Russian? Language. Yeah. Well, he kind of combines Russian dialect and, and British dialect for the Droogs, who are the main characters, like Alex mm-hmm. uh, in the story. And it's just... I picked it because I, I it is based on a novel, but it, it, it's also a movie we haven't discussed, and it, it's it's one of those movies that made a huge impact on me when I first saw it, like, about over 20 years ago. It's a very... Dark movie. I don't know how well most of it would play. Well, in most of clip. his
1: movies are.
0: Yeah, it's a very. I'm not saying anything out of school by saying a Stanley <laughs> Kubrick film. It's before. probably
2: his darkest movie. Maybe not. In, I mean,
0: not dark, but it's, it's probably his. It, it's his edgiest, it, it's his his most his, cynical it, film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it says most yeah, not for every. Yeah,
1: this movie is offensive. Let's yeah, it just, is. I mean that's it a is. good way to put it.
0: It's uh, <laughs> it's gonna be polarizing. You're gonna have a strong yes. reaction to it. One. one I way tried or the other. to watch
1: it. Not that about two years ago. And I just was, like, sitting there. And I'm like, why am I watching this? Like, I feel like I'm a part of the problem by watching it. <laughs> I, just, I couldn't. I just, I did. I tried to watch it for you, and I mm-hmm. I just had to shut it off. Well, you didn't
0: have to watch it for me. Well, you know. I mean,
1: I know how much you appreciate it. You yeah. Know? And I thought, okay, there's got to be something here. And I just was, I think as a woman, too, there's just something really hard to...
0: To digest. Yeah, that's something that I have to think about with that movie, too, like from a female perspective. And I'd always like to get a female perspective with that movie because I think it's only fair. Uh, Because it does what I would describe as satirical rape, you know, which Uh, you would never see. I mean, it's, and I know his intent is to show that this is an awful act because I think the, the way he's trying to challenge you with the movie is to show you how ugly and awful Alex's behavior is at the beginning of the film to. Force you to question whether he should be under the government's reign of control. At the end, yeah. like who was worse? Was it worse for Alex being free reign, or was it for the government reigning him what in and controlling in it? Uh, that's a.
3: <laughs>
2: Can you say they're both
0: bad? It they're both. Like, yeah, they're both. I mean, it's bad. It, it, I think the ultimate point they're saying is, as bad as Alex is, it might be better for him to be unleashed as evil <laughs> as opposed to the government. I, I don't know. I mean, Not I'm the lady they raped, as far Yeah, it. I mean, that's the thing. I, I, I'm i going back at forth. Lake. I don't know. It really challenges you to think, and it's also a dire look of humanity, which all super sure, films absolutely. have a very cynical view of mm-hmm. human beings and how they behave. Uh, it is an undeniably stylized film it's a masterpiece of world building like it's mm-hmm. hard, as far as the dystopian future and the costume design it is such a unique looking film and it's influenced so many films subsequently uh, like in a weird way I don't think you could have a Blade Runner without Blackboard yeah. Orange or Kubrick in general um, you know it's a visually stunning film the use of Beethoven because mm-hmm. oh, we always yeah. love musical cues mm-hmm. is phenomenal in the movie because Alex is a huge fan of Beethoven and they utilize it in a lot mm-hmm. of great sequences Uh and there's kind of a Python-esque humor in it, too, in a lot of ways. I can see that, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Um,
0: so that's my number three pick. I think it's a unique film. Obviously, it's a very divisive film, and I don't, discount other criticisms of it because i i think those are all valid criticisms you know sometimes i struggle (laughs) as to how to it's a movie i can't even recommend to people because even though i admire it and it's definitely critically admired because it's all on lists sure it's not a film i can recommend to people say here enjoy a clockwork orange you know Mm -hmm. it's it's a very it's a it's a tough movie to take in especially in this day and age even more so now than it probably was in the 70s
1: yeah
0: although it was shocking then sure Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be my number three pick. Would be a Clockwork Orange. So
1: well, my number three pick, of course, is it, was Princess Bride. What's so your now, number, two? number two?
2: No, you get to go to number two. Oh, I get to go again. Yeah, because we you. skipped your three. Your number, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so my number two is no surprise here. I don't think this is a movie that we have already covered. Okay, and it's fabulous. It is none other than American Psycho.
3: Oh. Ah, yes, yeah.
1: I have the book upstairs, and let me just tell you. Okay both versions are incredible in terms of just getting into the psyche of Patrick Bateman. This is another movie where literally the dialogue is extracted from the novel and mm-hmm. it's and it's just spot on and Christian Bale is undeniably Patrick Bateman and the neuroses that are transparent in the novel translate into the screen. Mm-hmm. Um The novel reads more like a diary. There's really not like a clear plot, which makes sense now when you watch the movie, Mm -hmm. why it doesn't really seem to have like a clear sense of a timeline. You know, you're just seeing Patrick Bateman kind of live his life. Um, And that's also why the ending is so vague, because the book is the same way. There's really no clear ending. Um, I know a lot of people think, was it a dream? Did he really do it? You know, that kind of thing. And the book definitely lends itself to being Mm open-ended that way but it reads like a diary. There aren't really any chapters. It's just each new series of events starts with like one of them is the one chapter is titled "Dorcia," and then it talks about his experience at Dorcia. The other one, you know, is who he was in the news and then it goes into that whole dialogue. Mm-hmm. So there's so so I think, you know, they did a really great job of taking everything they could from the book and piecing together to have somewhat of a of a clear timeline for the film or at least a series of plots to follow but I mean man this book is graphic yeah. graphic I mean the, the the movie's graphic but but again almost in that black comedy funny way and the book's no different I mean the book is I think hilarious mm-hmm. um, but there are some certain scenes in there that didn't make it into the film with good reason because they are really offensive and just probably not necessary um, but I mean that was Brett Easton Ellis's pref- you know he wrote the novel Um and and the dialogue is incredibly smart. It, the way that Patrick Bateman narrates in the movie is exactly how Brett writes. Mm-hmm. It, it's a page-turner. You can't put it down.
0: You know, it's interesting. I just mentioned The Clockwork Orange, and you mentioned American Psycho, and I, I'm sensing so many parallels. Yeah. I don't think a, a movie or even a book like American Psycho could happen— without a Clockwork Orange, the antihero, and a mm-hmm. lot of problematic yeah. issues with women in terms yes. of the protagonist. Man, there's so many parallels with those two projects. And you wouldn't make it because the aesthetics are different. But yeah. uh, it's almost like I, I could see how, how influential Clockwork Orange has been when I'm listening to your take on American Psycho, which I think, honestly, is one of the best films of, of, of the new millennium mm-hmm. since 2000. came yeah, out right at, right at the beginning of yeah. uh, it. It was after a great year, 1999. And I think... If American Psycho had been released in 1999, it would have been one of the contenders for Best Picture that year. I wonder,
1: you know, because I think American Psycho, like a lot of movies I tend to gravitate to, is a little ahead of its time. Yes. Not everybody appreciates the beauty of it until afterwards. Now, I think if something like American Psycho came out now Mm -hmm. and Christian Bale had that kind of performance now, well, keeping in mind the Me Too movement, maybe not some of the content I don't think would be well-received now as it was in 2000, you know, 20 years ago was a different time um, in our society. But the one thing though, when it comes to the, to the, to the sexual content in American psycho is it, even though, you know, those are hookers, it is consensual, somewhat consensual. So that's a little bit different than, like, clockwork. It
2: is, yeah. But, Outside of him murdering.
1: Well, that too. <laughs> but he does it in such a funny way. I mean, that's, that, that's the incredible thing is right. it's like Patrick Bateman, like you said, the anti-hero is a great description. I mean, right. he's this this guy who is who is heinous. Yeah. But, but you like him, and in an odd way, you're rooting for him because you're like, Paul Allen was a jerk, you yeah. know? Um.
2: Jared Leto, one of his yeah. best performances. Yeah. Uh. Uh, that's a huge
0: difference, yeah. I guess.
1: Willem Dafoe's in this too. Yes, he is. Yes. Plays the detective.
0: Uh, you know the scene in *A Clockwork Orange* where Malcolm McDowell is singing *The Singing in the Rain*, performing mm-hmm. *Singing in the Rain* as he's doing yeah. the horrible, horrific things. It's Huey and Lewis in *The News* yes. with uh, Patrick You're Bateman. Exactly it's the right. same thing, except it's yeah. a man killing another man versus yeah. what's going on in *A Clockwork yeah. Orange*. But mm-hmm. you could see the clear yeah. influence. Uh, from mm-hmm. one film yeah, to you the can. next. Holy crap. I wonder
1: if that was intentional. You know, Because I, I think American Psycho was written in 91 or 92, like pretty early 90s, yeah. the, the novel. Um, I, I can sp- look on my copyright, or, or I'm sure we can fact check online, but oh. it was definitely after that yeah. time.
0: It's sinister heroes, yes. and it's satirical. Yes. There's a lot of satire yes. in both films. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting we both kind of landed on that. You know, I wonder, I
1: wonder what it is, though, about the character Patrick Bateman that's just a little bit more, like, likable?
0: I think it's because Alex comes out, I am a terrible human maybe, being. Maybe.
1: <laughs> Patrick, <laughs> Patrick Bateman doesn't. Patrick does kind of empathize with a little uncertain. Yeah, levels. Yeah, I think yeah. it's a... Uh, the, the inadequacy that Well, I feels. think I, yeah.
2: people, if someone's a murderer, <laughs> uh, like a psycho, it's called American Psycho, so people go, know going go in, what it expect. Yeah, so so And it's People kind of look at that movie. It's like it's 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 arrogant people killing arrogant people. Because even the people he kills are all uh, stuck up. Exactly. They're all rich. Yeah. They're all think they're better than people. Even the women, except for I mean, except for the the sex worker that he yeah. kills. Um, no,
1: I thought she got a. Oh, no, yeah, that's right. He did. He got her in the staircase. Yeah. And the, that iconic. That he iconic. The thing. chainsaw. And, 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 and she's the real victim. To, and yeah. She's she the was, victim was the real victim. victim. Yeah. Worse yeah. 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 than so, Paul Allen. Uh,
2: but the other oh, people yeah. are just really like stuck up and. Mm-hmm. People love that. I mean, it's it's why Fraser's is so good. People love that highfalutin, like, like people, uh, not to c- confuse it with Fraser, but people well, love.
1: you know what? Because snobs are interesting. Yes. Yes, you know? I and, think and, they are. And Lee um, uh, Razziwell, Jackie Kennedy's sister, once famously quoted, somebody in an interview asked her, you know, if you were at a dinner party, would you rather sit next to, you know, a, a snob or a shy person or something like that? And she once said, and I'm paraphrasing, but, you know. You know, shy people, if they're real quiet, then they're going to be boring. And, you know, at least snobs are interesting. They have something interesting to say or something funny to share or or you'll get a kick out of their, well, you know flamboyancy, yeah. you know? And you I, it's, I think there's a lot of truth to that.
2: We well, mentioned Breakfast at Tiffany's. That's a movie about
1: snobs. Exactly, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Patrick Bateman is one of the best characters of the new millennium in film. Yeah. I, I really think and Christian, it's my favorite Christian Bale oh, yeah. performance. Me too. And I'm a Batman fan, so I'm saying something if I'm saying that's my favorite. Yeah. Um, but I, I really, he nails satire So well as an actor. He he nails the yuppie prick so I mean he just masters it and he's got the right voice for it. Yeah. He is perfect. The
1: subtleties though in that movie, the eye movements, the way that he would he really that's why I say if that movie were to come out later, maybe again, not now, but maybe let's say in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I, don't, I mean, how, how he didn't get recognized for that, maybe yeah. because, again, it was a little ahead of its time. People it back then couldn't really appreciate it. His but reward his performance it, yeah. is undeniably great.
2: I think his reward is he got to play Batman. <laughs> because that kind right. of Bruce yeah, Wayne. Right. Oh, that yeah. I, I, I yeah. when, when that was
0: announced, because we know how much I love yeah. Batman on this podcast, yeah. but when they announced that Christian Bale was cast as Batman, I said, that's perfect. Because if you look at American Psycho, this dark... The, the darker undercurrents of a successful yuppie guy with the right yeah. look. Said, that's Bruce
2: Wayne. Have not you, not necessarily Bruce Wayne, because Bruce Wayne's heroic, but he had the aesthetics yes. and the depth. Have, have you seen, and, did you see American Psycho by the time Batman, he was cast?
0: I think I had, yeah. Because okay. it came out in like 2000. I think Batman Begins came out in 2005. So there was a five-year gap. I remember because someone,
2: someone did. What tipped me off on American Psycho is I was in an English class in college, and someone did a scene... Uh, someone showed a scene from, from the movie.
1: Which one? The business
2: card scene? The business card scene. And I was like, wow, that's a real... just. It's all about business yeah. cards. All we're doing is showing business cards, but it's the most interesting thing. Yes. I, uh, and
1: how intense. The intensity that Christian Bale brought to the yeah, scene.
2: You could take all the murder out of that movie, yeah. and it's still a very
3: good movie. Well, I think <laughs> I probably
1: shared this on the podcast when we did it, but I remember the first time I saw it was in 2000. My dad had rented it, and we were watching it, and I... You know, the whole introduction scene. I probably watched maybe the first 15, 20 minutes. And then the scene where Patrick Bateman is working out and like, doing crunches in his living room and he's just got a aim- mindless porn in the background. Yeah. It mm-hmm. showed the porn. You know, you could see the porn. So my dad was running up to the TV. All right. We're cutting this off. That's <laughs> enough. And then I never got to finish it. Because I wasn't allowed to watch it now, because Dad deemed it as bad. Mm-hmm. But I remember the first fifteen or twenty minutes. I thought it was so interesting, and I remember laughing and thinking, "Who's this guy?" <laughs> I I don't really, I hadn't really remembered seeing Christian Bale in a whole lot before that. Um, and I just was so like, "Oh my gosh! I really like. One day I want to f- see this movie." And. It was one of the first movies I think I really ever rented like from blockbuster when I got my own account because yeah. I'm like it left that much of an impression on me
0: that you wanted to finish that I it. wanted to finish it. yeah that's true of movies like the like I said the clockwork orange shocked me when I first saw it but I was drawn to the aesthetics that I was also seeing like the satire mm-hmm. of it which it's, it's a complicated movie to talk about, but there are aesthetics of that movie that kind of s- s- suck me in, and I wanted... because I was yeah. noticing that there is parallels well, the with makeup.
1: This, the makeup. Oh, are you talking about American Psycho? A Clockwork Orange.
0: that movie had an impact. Like, mm-hmm. I, it's an example of how, like, with American Psycho, with you, like there's certain aspects that draw you in, and you want to go back to it because there's something that well, you're responding and, to. Yeah, it. and
1: American Psycho, and you guys know me well enough to know. And then some of the you know s- seasonal listeners probably know is I love beautiful aesthetics and american psycho is a beautiful film i mean it really glorifies and captures the essence of the 80s wall street yuppie uh, you know designer clothes and and just all of that and and you, you do kind of get sucked into patrick bateman's world
3: mm-hmm. the beautiful
1: apartments and um it's just so lavish and i just fall prey you know victim and prey to to, to to uh, visuals like that. You know, now this is a movie that I didn't know was a book first. I was introduced to it first as mm-hmm. a movie, so I didn't know Me that too. it was actually a book. And then after I had seen the movie and kind of fallen in love with it, I came across some audio. It was uh, they had an, an audio version of it. And I thought, "Now this might be interesting." I was like, "I wonder if it's read by Christian Bale, you know, cuz he mm-hmm. just was such a great Patrick Bateman." It's not, but the guy who does read it isn't too bad. You know, I mean, he's nobody can compare to Christian Bale. I don't think it's Patrick Bateman in my book, right. but but it's not terrible. And um, I I listened to on YouTube. There's a couple excerpts, like a couple different of the chapters, and I was like, man, I gotta get this book. And so a couple years ago, I went and, and bought it and uh, just you know, kind of thumbed through it and dialogue straight out of the movie. And I'm like, this is gonna be awesome. Yeah. And it was just a really good read.
0: It's it's a it's a great film. Like I said, I think it's one of my favorites of the the new millennium for sure. Mm-hmm. The early aughts is one of the best films of that mm-hmm. that decade.
1: You really would like the book, Sean. I, in fact, I should let you borrow it because it goes more into the details of the music and some of his monologues where he rambles on about inanimate things, which I right. I, I think you'd really like.
0: Those are my favorite scenes in the yeah, movie. Uh-huh. As a music fan, yeah. So Scott, what's your number two pick?
2: Well, my number two is War of the Worlds that we already discussed. Oh, oh, right, right. So. oh okay. I think, number two, I read it twice too. So that's my, uh, it's probably one of my favorite books. I'll probably have to read it again. I always enjoyed it. What did so. you think
1: of Tom Cruise?
2: Oh, and the one, I like and Tom movies, Cruise. Yeah. It's a, we were talking about movies about divorce earlier off uh, off uh, microphone because we're talking about Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> that's a movie about divorce too. Yeah. Spielberg movies always have divorce in them. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. was, he, he, did,
1: was he a pr- child of divorce? I wonder.
2: I, was he? Yeah, he was. Okay. He was. A lot of his films deal with divorce. They deal with absentee. Mm -hmm. Well, Jurassic Park has absentee. Close Encounters Mm -hmm. of the
0: Third Kind. Yeah.
2: uh, Uh, That's the movie about a divorce
0: happening. Why do we always...
1: It never fails. (laughs) Two people we always mention on this podcast... Audrey Hepburn <laughs> and Richard. <laughs>
0: right. What we have to cover always because guess what, people—they're in the same we film together. Do you like Mr. Holland's that. opens? So no,
1: I do actually like that movie. Yeah. yeah, I thought he was good in that movie. But you—you yeah. uh,
2: you, know. you don't get him as a movie star. I don't
1: get him as a yeah. But I, you think exactly he's a good actor? Right. I do. I, I will. Yes, I do okay. think he's—he's he's a decent actor. Uh, yeah, is my favorite. Absolutely not there's I just don't get him you know there's just something about people and you're like why him
0: yeah. oh I know I have those he's, in my life he's too he's kind of
1: like that for me why, why him I yeah. don't know now when I sent you that article isn't it interesting that he set up um, Carrie Fisher and Paul Simon
0: yes yes uh, Tony had sent me a, an article uh, that details like the kind of the close-knit like uh, clicks in the yeah. late 70s between like uh, Carrie Fisher and the cast of SNL the original mm-hmm. Saturday Night Live cast and some of the Spielberg people, like Richard Dreyfus and stuff, and how they were set up mm-hmm. with Paul Simon that and Carrie Fisher. That, yeah. that, that is really fascinating.
1: I was like, leave it to Richard Dreyfus.
2: <laughs> so, Sean, what's your number two? So,
0: my number two is not going to be a shock to anybody. And it is, is a film we actually have covered on the podcast. It's uh, Stanley Kubrick, once again, The Shining, to uh, the shock of no one. Uh, it's a film that takes the basic Stephen King novel, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Kubrick. T- puts his own spin on it, which upset a lot of King fans, including Stephen I King himself. I was just going to say,
1: including Stephen uh, King. At, uh,
0: at that point. A great side story with this is that Kubrick would call Stephen King in the middle of the night and ask him if he believed in God just to kind of get his take because I think Kubrick was trying to find a way to mm-hmm. use that information to go through his mm-hmm. his wow. way of approaching the project. And uh, King had a lot of issues with it. Like, mm-hmm. he thought Jack Torrance seemed psychotic from the very beginning of the film, where he well, wanted him... Well, that's because
1: it was played by Jack J-Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. And there's a great story on that. Um, a lot of people were... It was the vice of film, like all Kubrick films are, when they're first released. And speaking of Steven Spielberg, there was a great conversation between Kubrick and Spielberg about The Shining that details King's critique. Mm-hmm. And Kubrick goes. So, what did you think of my film, Stephen? What did you think of The Shining? And now, Stephen King, uh, Steven Spielberg, <laughs> Stephen Spielberg. I have to distinguish <laughs> too many this. Stevens. too many Stevens from the, the Stanley the 80s. Kubrick,
2: Stephen Spielberg, Stephen King. <laughs> oh,
0: MSTs. Uh, so, um, Spielberg now claims The Shining is one of his all-time favorite films. He said really? at the time he didn't care as much for it. Because he thought that Nicholson went over the top. It was like a kabuki performance. It was really over the top. So Cooper broke this down with with, with Spielberg. He said, so, Stephen, name some of your all-time favorite actors. Just off the top of your head, your top five favorite actors. And I think uh, Spielberg was mentioning, like, Spencer Tracy and Henry Fonda. Uh, I'm just...
1: Just paraphrasing, yeah, yeah. Jimmy
0: Stewart, like those kind of people. Uh,
1: that's who he grew up with. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so uh, and they are
1: great actors. They're
0: fantastic actors, all of them. So Cooper goes, oh, I noticed, noticed that you didn't mention James Cagney.
1: Mm. Well, to
0: me, James Cagney is the greatest movie star of all time. He's one of my favorite actors, and that's why Jack Nicholson's performance is great. So it's brilliant. And what he's basically saying is... There's something brilliant about guys that can go into histrionics on screen yeah. that are very compelling. And that's what he wanted to go for with, with Nicholson as Jack Torrance, which happens to be, of course, one of my favorite performances of all time. Um, I think the point is he's insane from the get it. That's Kubrick's take is that he always has that darker that darker point of view about humanity, you know, that we all have these dark impulses. I think Shelley Duvall's performance is highly underrated mm-hmm. as we've covered on the podcast. Oh,
2: poor she's... Shelley Duvall! Yeah. Oh, she went through oh, hell. I don't, I don't condone
0: yeah. the treatment of these people as actors on the set. By the way, the,
2: the behind-the-scenes footage, though, Jack Nicholson getting ready yeah. for the scenes. Does that behind-the-scenes footage of '70s movies is, is sometimes better than the movies, and <laughs> these are great movies. Yes, because it's so fascinating, especially the Shining behind-the-scenes footage. Wasn't
1: he like brushing his teeth or something? Oh, he's like, yeah. it's
2: just like. And he's kind of... I think he's played... He knows he's on camera. Yes. yeah. I think he he's, he's playing that. And
1: I think he was trying to hype himself up. He was. To get back he was. into that you know, he, energy level. Right. Yeah. He's,
2: he's a true performer. And yeah. he's grabbing the axe. He's going... And he's just kind of faking... It's, it's, it's on YouTube. You can watch mm-hmm. it. Yes.
0: And so the documentary was directed by Vivian Kubrick, who's Kubrick's daughter, which is a parallel with Sofia Coppola yeah. and Francis Ford Coppola, although she's had an actual film career, and I don't think Vivian Kubrick's done much. Uh But uh, it's 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 great, fascinating. If you want to see a behind-the-scenes documentary and outside of Hearts of Darkness, try the Shining documentary. It's short; it's like close to a half hour long, but it's really fascinating. I wonder
1: if there are any documentaries on American Psycho. That would be fun.
2: Yeah, it probably was just like a normal shoot compared to these other.
1: You know, I should check my DVD. I wonder if there's any like special feature stuff.
2: The Kristen Bale though is when he was yelling on the Terminator. You never. (laughs) That's probably the one. (laughs) So
0: so that would be my number two. Would be The Shining. uh,
2: All right, Stanley
0: Kubrick. So I guess we're going to number one. Number
2: one, Tony. Number
1: one. Uh, I believe we've covered this movie on the podcast. If we haven't, then shame on us. Yeah. Um, it's probably one of my all-time favorite movies in life and it's none other than The Wizard of Oz.
2: Oh, Yeah, we have covered it. Uh, Adam Novak was our guest.
1: We must have did it early on. Yeah, did we did we? It okay. yes. within the
2: first year. Yeah. We c- our first movie we ever did was the Return sequel, to Oz. <laughs> Return to Oz, which well, is yeah. funny, that's our first movie. Yes. But. Yeah, it is. It is
3: strange.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, The Wizard of Oz is based on, you know, the short stories series um, by Frank Baum, and, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, we've all seen The Wizard of Oz. It's just an impeccable movie. It's... Mm-hmm. So many emotional ties to my life and what this movie means to me as a little girl growing up in a divorced household and the escape that this movie brought and the sense of hope um, and also the realization that, you know, sometimes you don't pick your home, but it's the people there that you have are always going to be there for you and um, we lose our way in life. But it's all about the relationships that we have that kind of bring us back Mm -hmm. and appreciating what we have instead of longing for what we don't. And I mean, the Wizard of Oz is an incredible movie. This is definitely another example where I think the film version exceeds the novels or the short stories. Yeah, because
2: well, I, 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 I apologize for interrupting you, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I did. But
1: <laughs>
0: you look like you're about to
1: come up. Yeah, with it. Well, well, yeah.
2: well, I think that I think you just made a point. This made me think of something that that Wizard of Oz as a movie is is in the gold. or even less than 1% of... Think of a movie, Wizard of Oz, is up there. like One of the best movies ever made. One of the most famous movies. The book book Wizard of Oz is not in that... Compared to other books, Mm -hmm. it's not in that pantheon. Well,
0: Brom fans might disagree with you if you're really hardcore. I've actually heard people who love... The well, of it, it could be a book,
2: but mm-hmm. the movie, compared to other movies, is is on a higher... This
1: movie's a giant. Right. Yeah, and the movie's
2: a giant. Yeah. The book is uh yeah.
0: Well, well this, is, this is to Tony's point, because one of the themes is like how you can take something from the original source material and make it into something of your own. I think... Mm-hmm. You know, Kubrick did it with The Shining. I a think.
2: musical, yeah. Uh,
0: MGM, because there was a sure. conglomerate of different directors yeah. making The Wizard of Oz, along with Gone with the Wind. They were filmed simultaneously mm-hmm. at the same studio, more or less.
1: Talk about another tough Oscar year, yes. 1939. That's
0: a huge year.
2: Do you like all the incur- incarnations of The Wizard of Oz? Like Wicked and... Uh... You know,
1: it's interesting. As much as I love the original Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. um, because I just think Judy Garland is... Just mm-hmm. iconic is the best word. I mean, her role as Dorothy in this movie, and, and, you know, you have to remember when I was a little girl seeing it for the first time, just being able to identify with her. And she's just so touching And her performance, you know, in the scenes where she cries at the end and then says goodbye to everybody. I mean, it, I, it brings me tears every time, every time. It's so believable. And she's so heartfelt. And you see some of the pain, I think, that was really happening in Judy Garland's life in her performance as Dorothy. It's kind of interesting how she transcends as an actor in this movie. You know, she was ruled by the system, the Mm -hmm. studio system at this time. I mean, she was working so hard during the filming of this, uppers during the day, sleeping pills at night. I mean, forced to lose weight. All she could eat was chicken broth. Mm -hmm. I mean, just crazy things. And it's like... But to get this incredible, beautiful, raw performance for a 14-year-old and then her voice, that's a whole nother topic. And, and the music and, and the magic. This movie is magical. It is completely magical.
0: It, it is. It's, it's a, it's, and it was a perennial for many years mm-hmm. before the advent of home video or blu-ray or anything that we enjoy today or streaming Mm -hmm. back then the event was on television in the 1950s onward was to watch the wizard of oz once a year it was an event was it It christmas eve or Or easter i think it was easter Easter, uh,
2: i think i I always remember the commercial break i don't know why i remember this is when the, the 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 cowardly lion jumped out of the window and oh, they would go yeah. to commercial break yeah. every time yeah. like i i it guess was joltier, yeah, there was a, yeah. there was, a, there was
0: ironically you were jolted by the cat yeah
2: yeah it's like i mean i was scared another movie i was scared of is that the wizard scared me it wasn't the wicked witch oh, it was The a wizard just that head. whole yeah the whole aesthetic cuz mm-hmm. they they build it up so cuz they were yeah. scared yeah, they were, they scared, were scared, scared of the
1: wizard his voice yelling yeah
2: they weren't scared of she, dorothy was never really scared of the wicked witch no. as much she she was um uh, and she was burned, and when I always now that I heard that piece of knowledge, whenever yeah. I see that scene where the fire comes up, she yeah, was she burned pretty really
1: bad. Had, there was a lot of crazy things that happened behind the scenes which I think we talked about it when oh, we, did our yeah, podcast, we did the podcast. Oh yeah, we did the podcast.
2: Except for the 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 Munchkins committing suicide, that was mm-hmm. actually you had a bird. Yeah. And uh, if you actually watch it, it's like, oh yeah, they, they have these weird birds in the woods. I don't know why they have these giant like ostrich emus. They're just like. Going like this, and it looks you know, like... I
1: think just to be in the, just to create the whole mythical land of Oz, you know how how the, everything was kind of different and magical in Oz, and and also just the Technicolor aspect of this movie was not only just phenomenal in terms of being in 1939 and being able to have that technology, but. But really, the message it sends for the story, her going from this humdrum back at black and white world mm-hmm. to this beautiful world of possibility and color and magic and fun and mm-hmm. and fear and not knowing and um, just that incredible journey that she takes with her friends. But mm-hmm. really, the journey that she has takes with herself. And you know what I mean? And, oh, then, yeah. and Of course, with, with Glinda always saying, you know, you always had the power, my dear. You just had to believe it. You know? And it's just... Uh, more like the older i get the more i always circle back to this movie and maybe it's the nostalgic element for me Mm -hmm. but it's just
0: it's it's a it's a great film and Mm -hmm. what i was going to say in relation to that is i've talked to people who love the books the brahms books there was a series of books yeah there's a
1: whole series of any adaptation
0: of the wizard of oz is always taking from like a wide range of different books within Mm -hmm. that series and uh they said they didn't care for the MGM version because they thought it was – they turned it into a musical, mm-hmm. and they preferred the darker, weirder fantasy they were getting in the books. I think they preferred sure. the interpretation that's in – Like they preferred, like, a, a return to Oz because yeah, yeah. it's a dark movie. It is dark. My compliment to The Wizard of Oz, though, is it transcends that. It's mm-hmm. exactly what you were talking about with some of the other movies on our list where it takes – the elements from a literary source but turns it into its own thing and becomes mm-hmm. its own thing separate from the books. Because I think The Wizard of Oz, you can't deny the impact it has made on our culture. It Absolutely. is referenced every single day in one form or another. I think the only competition would have would be Star Wars in our culture mm-hmm. as far as pop cultural references or references... Even Star Wars references the Wizard of Oz, the movie, because of you know yeah. the, all the side characters following one character yeah. on a journey. You know, you can you could piece that yeah, together. Yeah,
1: absolutely. People love those epic journeys, and and at the end, they're always with the main character. You know, the protagonist is really the one who's on the journey with the with their inner self. You know, and and the growth that you see that character go through, and then uh, Wizard of Oz has that same exact. Element, you know, I mean, Princess Bride is is really similar. It's that that journey with self. Yes, and um, I've always loved movies like that. You know, we talked about this before, um but I love that escapism. Mm-hmm. That's something. That notion is something I'm really drawn to, and um,
0: held in never ending story, which is exactly, based on exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. But but I think a lot of people do gravitate towards that. I know I certainly do, and. And The Wizard of Oz is, for me is kind of like an old friend. It's one of those movies that's so familiar uh, that I can pop it on if I'm feeling low or if I'm or if I'm happy. You know, it's just one of those movies that's always kind of been there for me. And every time I watch it, I learn something new. I see something new. It touches me in a different way. And I think that's the real power of a of cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, just Judy Garland in this role and the music and Somewhere Over the Rainbow. I mean, just the involvement. That that song has had in my life, and the the message in it, it's um. I don't know. It, this movie just it has that certain je ne sais quoi. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: It does. It just has. It, it's an undeniable classic. It's it's a yeah. it's,
1: it's got it's a beautiful marriage of everything. It really is the right timing, the right script, you know, the right actors, the right time, the right place. I mean, it just was that perfect storm of getting it right. It was. Even though they had they had to go through hell mm-hmm. to to make this movie, it definitely was worth it. And you know, kind of the sad thing when we talk about like an Oscar standpoint, you know, Gone with the Wind won the best mm-hmm. movie in nineteen thirty nine. And it and it is a institution. I mean, that movie is visually stunning. The actors are incredible. And it, that is based on a novel too. Margaret Mitchell's Gone with the it Wind. Is, yeah. Yeah. So we should it's worth that we mention that on this podcast. But what holds up more with people today? Well, what, what, Gone with the Wind has, has a lot
2: of issues because it, 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 it be yeah, yeah, because it's yeah. Uh, it kind of makes with heroes out of people that them, yeah. today probably wouldn't be made heroes of. Um, you know, the southern. But I mean, of, just the
1: storyline. Oh yeah, abs- like, it's epic story. Yeah, little kids watch Wizard of Oz. I mean, they play it every Easter. Like, Wizard of Oz has there's, no, there's
2: no issues with Wizard of Oz. Yeah. It's it's gonna be yeah. timeless. There's no. The, timeless. That's exactly yeah, right. It's timeless. All the all the characters. It shows a lot of compassion. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she completely accepts these weird, <laughs> you know, Tin Man, you know, these people that look different. I mean, basically, mm-hmm. it, 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 it it's a weird, you know, take on you know people that look different and are different. And then it has all these like metaphysics, You know, you think you're you don't have something, but really, mm-hmm. it's just a, th- from a different perspective. You do. Yeah.
1: You're uh, exactly right. Like the Tidman, when we watch it, we see that he's probably the most compassionate of everybody. He has the biggest heart. Yeah. But he's the one who doesn't think he has one, you know, and Dorothy really is brave. And yeah. she's the one who always gets them, you know, leads the way. And, and the
2: lion is, just because yeah. you're scared doesn't mean you're courageous. I think exactly. that's the thing. That exactly. Courage is not the... At the end of the day, when yeah. Dorothy
1: needed somebody, yeah. the lion was the one who stepped he through
2: said... The, he yeah. through the... And the
1: scarecrow was always the one with the ideas. He was he always... Was. Uh, and, you know, he didn't think he had a brain. So you're exactly right. That's one of the things I love about it, too. Again, it instills that confidence and kind of empowers us to believe in ourselves and, and see what other people see in us. We might not think we're the smartest but you know we might really be smart or other people see us as smart and mm-hmm. it's
2: like what obi-wan said in return of jedi from a different point of view because when he t- he never told luke that his because he said that his dad was killed by um darth vader mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. you didn't say his
2: dad was both people but yeah, essentially darth vader did kill Absolutely. him because he took over him yeah. so from a different point of view every you can uh, see it mm-hmm. We yeah, ready?
1: yeah. Th- I, and that's the thing too with Wizard of Oz. Is I think it speaks to so many people at different stages in their life on different levels.
0: Mm-hmm. It does. It actually has a dreamscape quality mm-hmm. where it's, there's a psychological element to the mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz and how every character represents an aspect of her personality. You could
2: even say or her fears.
3: Yes, you know?
1: yes.
2: It's great that we're talking about movies that we talked about before because now <laughs> you, you always you, we've probably seen that movie mm-hmm. since so you get a different, even a different perspective on it. So you can do a podcast to talk about it for an hour and a half, and then you can watch that movie yeah. again and still have an hour and, worth to yes. talk about it. And,
1: and going back to the to the literary element of Wizard of Oz and all of these movies we talk about, the really beautiful quality that Wizard of Oz has for me and probably many other people is that it's one of those books and mm-hmm. movies that after you've seen it, read it, watched it, you feel a little different. You feel inspired to, to be smarter, braver, more compassionate. You know, you want to you want to give the person that you love a hug. You're mm-hmm. grateful for the home you have and the people that are in your lives. There's yes. something beautiful at the end of that movie that makes you walk away feeling really good and kind of content, you know. I and I think that's you, money can't buy. You know, you just
0: no. You're right. I mean, that's that's a great movie. Has an impact on you. It, it changes you. It has an impact. For example. When I watch Aquaman in the pitbulls Jason <laughs> Momoa and Amber Heard are coming on the shore, I say that changed me. Oh That's John's favorite scene. I just wanted to reference it today because we've been talking about it off, off, uh, off mic.
1: That's how I felt when Henry Cavill took his shirt <laughs> yes. off in and Batman eggs. versus Superman and cooked eggs. I thought I'm a changed woman. <laughs> he goes into
3: the into the into the tub with uh, Amy Adams. It was so undeserving.
2: Oh. Uh, well. My number one is a movie we haven't covered, but Ooh, we probably good. will uh It's a movie called Jaws yeah ah. figured you would. so
1: um Richard Dreyfus strikes again yes
2: he does well Richard Dreyfus is the third i mean the, number one, this movie is greatly acted
0: and Scott don't hold back if you want to praise Richard Dreyfus I richard. love
2: richard Dreyfus <laughs> we've well, he's great in this movie uh, i mean he's uh, I, I i I think he's a great actor in everything um but Roy Schneider's awesome, and obviously um you know the crown jewel of <laughs> of, of, of jaws I don't know it's I
1: think the mechanical shark is the the Mechanical crown shark jaws. is pretty yeah.
2: I mean there's lots of problems I actually read the book um and the book's good but the uh, it's a fun like summer read the movie is better than the book because the movie is just a masterpiece I think yeah in terms of uh suspense and then the acting is in just um, everything about the story. Um, there is an affair in the book between uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character and uh, uh, Chief Brody's wife.
3: Mm. Wow!
2: So um, because she, they they don't allude. The book does a lot about the status of the people that live on the island, and then the people that go there to visit. So. The people that visit on the island are like the rich people that go and have summer homes there. And then sure. the people that actually live on it are just the townies. Yeah, yeah, they work there. They're the regular people. Townies. So, townies <laughs> I guess townies <laughs> is the best way to put it. <laughs> Might be uh but there is that in the book they, they do go back and allude to a lot of the that aspect of the tension and you know well in the movie it's more about there is that aspect with the mayor and everything, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, you know, he wants to keep the beach open, you know, even though people are dying. Yeah. Um, which uh, is... When I was in film school, yeah.
0: they, 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 they mentioned two movies we've covered on a podcast in terms of screenplays. One was, I think, The Shining, which I won't go into as much, but they also mentioned Jaws as this, this unique screenplay, where the first half is a Watergate commentary. It's a conspiracy, about government conspiracies and cover-ups mm-hmm. that were very much in vogue at the time, and then the second half is an adventure film of three different aspects of the male psyche, yeah, really going at at war or, or the male personality. It is, yeah,
2: it's two parts to the movie. I think it's, I mean, it's obviously brilliant. This is one of my favorite movies. Well, we watched it recently. We got it. Got the, uh, uh, what's the? Uh, we saw it. Like, the version of the movie at Kappa recently. Yeah, we
0: saw the Kappa Summer Movie Series last summer yeah. with a full crowd
2: and they were into it with Fritz the Night Out. Fritz the, the Night famous, Out, yeah, uh, yeah. Horror famous. host locally. and Which Columbus. was great. It's a great movie to do that. But the movie's awesome. Every time it, it's one of the movies when if it's on TV, I'm going to stop what I'm doing and want to watch it. Um, I love it. Uh, it's Spielberg's, you know, it's the movie that changed. Movies like the blockbuster, so you could blame a lot of the issues on it, but I don't think you could really blame Jaws. I mean, just because the movie's great and people want to go see it, you know, doesn't mean it's not the reason why Michael Bay makes crappy yeah. <laughs> blockbuster <laughs> movies. Um, but uh, it's you know, like you said, on the boat, um, I'm forgetting the the great actor's name, um, that I did not, did not mention. I mentioned Roy Schneider. I mentioned Richard Dreyfuss. Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. That, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Um, who's, I mean, Quint is the one of the greatest movie characters of all time. He, he is. Again, another great town hall scene as well. Spielberg does the best town hall scenes. I always loved the one in Close Encounters. Saw Bigfoot one time. <laughs> that's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <At a, laughs> He throws the thing across the... Sea. I mean, it's just great. Well, the U- USS
0: Indianapolis speech is amazing. Oh. That's probably the high point of the movie for me when he talks yeah. about that. It's probably the most uh, dis- disturbing aspect of the film. I mean, you don't even see a shark in the scene. It's just him describing how his yeah. crewmates were eaten alive by these Oh, and then it's just, just
2: the quieter moments where... We drop the bomb. Yeah, yeah. Richard <laughs> Dreyfus brings over a bottle of wine to their house and is just, like, sitting there and telling them that he has, they got the wrong shark, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just like, you know, it's, uh, it's great. It's just, it's just, um, one of my favorite movies. And I'm sure we're going to do a podcast on it. Cause I just couldn't imagine us passing that up. So,
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's something we really should discuss yeah. as its own episode for sure at some point. And the same could be said for my, my number one, Mm-hmm which we haven't covered on the podcast, which is shocking, but it's probably not only my number one here, it's probably my favorite movie.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that would be uh, 1975's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm. the novel originally written by Ken Kesey. Uh, and I have not read the novel, only because I love the movie so much. I didn't want it to ruin my appreciation of the <laughs> film, which is stupid. Uh, but I know of the film. It, it was one of those, it was written in the 1960s. And the movie, the the novel itself is a much more abstract, psychedelic take on the in, uh, the inner workings of a mental institution. But um, Milos Forman, who directed the film in 1975, he grounds the film. Michael Douglas, by the way, produced the film, Tony, one really? of your favorite actors. Uh, he won an Oscar for Best Picture as, as the producer on that film. Because yeah. Kirk Douglas was originally going to play the lead character, R.P. McMurphy, in the film. In the 60s.
1: R.P. McMurphy. Yes, that's the
0: name. Randall Patrick (laughs) McMurphy, uh, which eventually was played by a little known actor named Jack Nicholson, who Mm -hmm. uh, won the Oscar for Best Actor for the film, as did Louise Fletcher, who does a great job as Nurse Ratchet. I don't want to go too much into detail because we haven't covered it, but it's it's a really great, great, great film. It, It kind of caught encapsulates everything that I love about movies in one film or my taste in the film. Like, it, if somebody wanted to say, what does Sean like and what, what kind of movies does Sean like, I would just put on One flute with the Cuckoo's Nest and you would kind of get a really good grasp of that. Um, oh, I
2: thought I would <laughs> put on... <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't have any. No,
0: please go ahead with us. I'm intrigued. <laughs> you can't. You can't just leave us hanging with that. I thought
2: it would be Willow. <laughs> yeah. oh
0: my God. That's exactly the kind of. <laughs> if strong, you want to make a joke, Willow. Uh, yeah, Willow was the movie that, that came to my uh, Noise.
2: No, <laughs> or I, Cocoon: The Return.
0: <laughs> I, I love it. I don't want to go too much because I, I know Tony hasn't. I don't think you've seen Cuckoo's Nest. I haven't. Yeah, and I don't want to ruin it for. Her.
2: Well, one thing we should mention is that it's it's a fur it has probably be early movie for a couple of famous actors and besides Jack Nicholson, uh, Daniel. DeVito. Yes, Christopher, Christopher Lloyd. Lloyd. Yes,
0: uh, oh, I love
3: Christopher Lloyd. Yeah,
0: they play inmates. It's, it's like, like the, the, almost a film debut for those two actors, and it kind of makes sense. Like Nicholson, Lloyd, and DeVito, they kind of remind you of a different era of acting in general, and also of filmmaking. Because uh, then they would eventually be cast, oddly enough, in what, my favorite sitcom, which is Taxi, which came out in 1978, and clearly they had to have loved Cuckoo's Nest because two of the actors...
2: And it's funny Peter that Christopher that Lloyd, show. who's in Cuckoo's Nest, is also in a movie that's kind of a—it's uh, a not a parody, sequel, of it. a parody of it. The Dream Team, right? With Michael Keaton. as yeah. kind of the Michael arc- Jack. It's always been Jack Nicholson's, <laughs> like little Jack Nicholson. Yeah, so.
0: he yeah, a little Jack. You know,
2: you little <laughs> Jack. Uh, is that a movie?
0: <laughs> yes. Oddly enough, when Tim Burton cast them both in Batman, he said they both have the same eyebrows, and he's right—they do. They both have the same eyebrows, mm-hmm. so they were kind of great. Ale- in yeah. analogs of each other, uh, but yeah, that would be my number one. Would be One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I'd like to cover it in full detail at some point, but I will just choose <laughs> that. People who've seen it know why I would choose it. I'm
2: sure. Yeah, we have a few movies that we mentioned. Probably we want to do full. Oh yeah, that we haven't done. Uh, hey, we didn't have that. I thought we were gonna have a lot of overlaps because we were overlapping there, yeah. but we we didn't. Yeah, um, we had a couple. I think I overlapped a few once, Princess Bride, and one with you of Worlds. So that was it. That's so. it. And you and Tony did not overlap at all. <laughs> no,
0: no, we didn't. Although we agreed with each other's, we liked yeah. each other's picks. Yeah, it so uh-huh. was kind of interesting.
2: Oh, I didn't like Tony's picks. No. <laughs> Get <out of> here. <laughs> no, I liked them.
0: Well, do you guys have anything to plug that's coming up,
2: or not no? Me. Just do uh, Nest Theater. I'm just performing there a lot, and uh, yeah, we, we do off and on stuff around town. So this fall, of Cinema Wheel-O-Tay, I think, is the biggest thing. That's the most important.
3: Yeah.
0: I'd like to give a shout-out to my friend Amanda Iman and her podcast, yes. Am- Amanda's Picture Show A Go-Go. I've actually been a- appearing frequently on there for the uh, award season coverage for uh, the 2020 Oscars and that that particular venue for the movies that came out in 2019 um so please follow that podcast whether i'm on it or not because she has a lot of interesting things to say what's
2: the best movie of 2020 so far <laughs>
0: well, i'd say doolittle is my picture. although oh my it got God. panned yeah. uh, so i guess bad boys 3 is going to be bad I guess, boys 3 actually might be the best uh, movie best so movie. far in, in 2020 so uh hey, I love will smith.
2: it's early <laughs> oh will smith we gotta yeah. get a shout out to, it, yes.
1: we should do a shout yeah. out
2: to an actor after the end of every episode yeah, so you want to shout out to to the, will smith
1: I can. What's up, Will?
2: What's hey. up, Will? Philadelphia, guy. Philly,
1: Yep, Philly ties over here. Philly roots.
2: Philadelphia born and raised. Is that what you're
0: saying? Yep,
1: <laughs> on the playground was where I spent most Go
2: of on my YouTube days. and just watch dramatic moments from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which is the weird yeah. sitcom where the dramatic moments are probably better than the comedic moments. Um... On the sitcom.
0: Absolutely. Just like Mrs. Doubtfire, as we mentioned <laughs> earlier, the dramatic <laughs> moments are better than the comedic moments on Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks again for listening to us. Tony, did you have anything to plug? or?
1: No. Oh, yeah. awesome. No, just, yeah, thanks for listening to us, guys. Yes. And hope everybody's well. Happy New Year.
0: Yes. New. And we want to plug Cinema Wheeler Tay. We've been doing this we for do. four <laughs> damn years. And, yes. you know, it's, a, it's a goddamn good prof- uh, podcast, if yes, I may say so. Well, we itself, did. You so what was the
2: first uh, year? Six. When did we first? Well, we yeah, started like in times, 2016. Right? 2015 yeah. was our first year. Well, we recorded in 2015.
0: It was December of 2015 when we released oh, yeah, our first yeah, episode. Yeah,
2: so we've been doing it.
0: Yeah, so it's been a little over four years now, and yeah. uh, we're going strong. We're going to have a great 2020 as well. We have a lot of great ideas coming up, and uh, yeah. continue to follow us on social media. Like us on Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us. And Instagram?
1: Are we on Instagram? We
2: are not on Instagram. We do oh. not have an Instagram
0: presence. Maybe
1: we should get one. We
2: probably should, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we need someone that has good Instagram experience.
1: To, yeah. die. <laughs>
3: to
0: yes, die. Yes,
2: yes. Tony, we would have to do that. We,
0: so look for us on Instagram. That's our big uh, break <laughs> on 2020. Yeah, we're going to get it. That's our Instagram. goal.
1: Our 2020 goal is yeah. to get on Instagram.
0: But yeah, continue to listen to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We're over 6,000 listens, which for wow. us is a milestone. Oh, star, great. Because we don't overly promote it like some mm-hmm. other podcasts do. So We're
1: just three friends. Doing a thing and having fun.
0: Exactly. We just happen to have microphones in front of our faces. So yeah. yeah, mine no
1: happens to be mauve. Yeah, <laughs> mauve.
2: yeah, we have a special mauve <laughs> inside knowledge. That's right. <laughs> so thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Right.
0: Bye, Bye, guys. Bye. Well,
3: I'll be goddamn cheap. And they all, they all think you're, you're deaf and dumb. Jesus Christ. <laughs> you fool him, Chief. <laughs> you fool him. You fool them no. all. <laughs> what are we doing in here, Chief? Huh? What's us two guys doing in this fucking place? Let's get out of here. How's that? Give me your hands. Dogfish, and you got a $5,000 net. You got $2,000 worth of fishing, and along comes Mr. Whitey. By the time he's finished with that net, looks like a kitty scissor class has cut it up for a paper doll. You got city hands, Mr. Hooper. You've been counting money all your life. All, right, all right, all right. Hey, I don't need this. I don't need this working-class
0: hero crap.
1: And remember, my sentimental friend, that a heart is not judged by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others.